We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Checking out the Deep Planet Mask podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Adair Byerly, and she is a professional model as well as a brain and behavioral educator in sports and media, and as well as a media um, analyst and commentator in the MMA world. So I just wanted to thank you again, Adair, for being able to take out the time today to be able to have a discussion. Uh, I mean, especially on kind of the, um, I, I think MMA analysis and kind of commentating world. It's, uh, you know, I think something that a lot of people don't know, I kind of like to kind of watch uh, a lot of, uh, MMA performances and kind of analysis and commentating was just something in that world that I didn't know too much about. I didn't really kind of know the ins and outs of the position. And, uh, you know, I was kind of just very excited for you to come on and be able to kind of talk about uh, what got you even interested in the role. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah. So I um, originally I came from the entertainment and fashion world. I've been professional model and uh, I guess you could say commercial actress for over a decade. Um, that experience in that world actually is what led me into studying uh, the brain and human behavior because there were so many discrepancies in the business side of those industries. It's very unorganized. Um I'm sure you've heard of like, you know, the crazy stories out there in Hollywood and things that go on. Uh, so I said, hey, I'm going to I'm going to study the mind and see what's going on and if we can implement some type of structure um, and, and fix these intangible issues. So I did that. I started my company, Entertainment Mindframe, and um, just so happened that I am not only a fan of mixed martial arts or fighting in general, any combat sports, but I trained mixed martial arts for uh, nine years. So a lot of people didn't know that. Um, so, uh, just from, you know, being, being in it physically, uh, being a part of it, being something that actually enhanced my life in a positive way. Uh, and then just being a, a spectator for all these years, I've always had an analytical mind when it comes to anything that I'm interested in. And, uh, then of course, having my background in, in entertainment and, you know, being comfortable in front of the camera as a model, it just kind of made sense to to take this route of, you know, going into sports media. When you kind of mentioned like the uh, the nine years in kind of professional fighting and going into that, I was kind of wondering on, you know, what things you're learning in that. And was there, I guess, did any of like your managers ever like kind of question, like, I guess, being a professional modeling, but also going into playing around in combat sports where you can get, you know, any type yeah. of injuries? Yeah. Uh, well, the one thing, I wasn't a professional fighter, but I did train. So here's the thing. When I started training, I just trained to get rid of baby weight. 
I had my son back in 2012 and my brother was a wrestler and my brother had started training and he's like, Hey, come to the gym with me. I said, okay, I'll go. Um, and then he had me stay for one of the, the jujitsu classes. I didn't want to do it. That was not interesting to me. It was all men. Uh, they were all big. And he's like, come on, try it. I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing it. And um, he's like, just try it. And he really, he for some reason, he just knew I would love it. And he knew I would be good at it. And he was right. I, I did it. And I had no idea that it was something I would pick up um, and be so easy for me to do. Um, so I, I fell into it that way. So I started doing uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I also had trained uh, Muay Thai, which is a form of kickboxing. Uh, I've done boxing, um, wrestling, st- uh, different styles in wrestling. So, um, and as we know, mixed martial arts is just different forms of combat styles and fight styles. So over the years, I was fortunate enough. I had no idea how many professional coaches and professional fighters there were in Texas. And I just happened to be in the DFW where a lot of those big fight gyms are. So when I started, I just thought, oh, I'm just going to, you know, stay in shape. But little did I know I was, you know, in the same gyms with professional fighters who you would see on Bellator, Invicta, UFC, um, you know, Golden Glove uh, boxers and champions. And so my my level of of workouts were a little bit higher than if you were to go to just, you know, some kickboxing gym for self-defense. You know what I'm saying? So I was introduced to high intensity workouts and high intensity training. Like I was an athlete, you know, and I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. So that that's what was going on over the past nine years of my life. <laughs> you kind of mentioned like uh, on the idea of some of your workouts definitely being different for someone who's just going to a self-defense class. When it came to like going first into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like was that something that um, you would recommend as a first like combat sport for anyone interested in getting into a combat sport? Or is there like any other recommendations that, you know, if someone wants to go into their first class? Uh, I think that I do think Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a great, um, I think it's a great confidence builder because it is a, it's a style that really shows you it doesn't matter what your size is. And if you're a man or woman, if you learn these techniques correctly, you learn how to use your body correctly, you can overpower or outsmart somebody who may be bigger than you or maybe, um, you know, maybe attacking you. Or if you're ever in those situations, your body kind of takes over and you know what to do rather than being in a fight or flight freeze moment and you can do something that can possibly injure you or even kill you. So I think it's good for everybody to know. I, it's definitely a power sport for women because uh, you have girls that are, you know, 125 and they're able to choke out guys who are 200 pounds, you know, um, just because of skill. So I do think it's a cool sport just to, or a style to learn for beginners. If you're wanting to, you know, depending on your, your, I guess, physicality, um, you know, kickboxing is a little bit more intense. Muay Thai is a little bit more intense. You're adding elbows and knees in. Um, 
you know, it, they all hurt in a different way. So it, I think it just depends on your pain tolerance, on your interests, on whatever is most therapeutic for you. If you're wanting to, you know, do just a couple of amateur fights and see how that goes. If you're just wanting to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu matches or grappling matches, um, there's no need to do, you know, stand up. If you're wanting to go pro, then, you know, of course you want to emerge yourself in all those different styles. So, um, but to answer your question, yes, I do think jiu-jitsu is a good, a good start for most people. So like on that idea of, uh, you know, when you're in some of these like locations um, where a lot of kind of future champions and high level professionals are fighting and training in. So, and like you're kind of training in and growing, you know, a, a growing respect for MMA. So what was like the moment where were you originally approached on the idea of getting behind as far as like media involved in the sport? Or was that something that, you know, you try to tackle yourself? Um, I think I wasn't approached doing it. Uh, one, I do know, <laughs> this is funny, when I was younger, I was probably, oh my gosh, probably in the single digits, I was watching the games with my father um, on, you know, Sunday, Sunday football. And um, he would tell me that he could see me doing that. The women on TV that were, you know, sideline reporting, or uh, even if there were any women uh, on the panel speaking. And I was said, I'm never going to do that. So he must have saw something in me that I didn't. <laughs> um, and I've had uh, a gentleman that I've, I've been dating. He was the one that, um, it, well, here's, it's kind of weird. It's like we, it happened simultaneously. He's a visionary. So he saw, you know, oh my gosh, you should be doing this. And I had been kind of going in this direction. I've been interviewing a lot of, I've been interviewing celebrities for probably the past three years. Um, but I didn't only do athletes. I was doing, you know, models, actors, agents, directors, writers, film, uh, script writers. Um, and so I had watched, I think it was the, when the, when the biography or documentary, it was a documentary, a short documentary came out about Laura Sanko, who is the first female color commentator for the UFC in 2021. So this just happened last year. Um, I saw that and it really confirmed, you know, the things that I was wanting to do. And uh, my boyfriend was the one that sent it to me. He sent it to me, sent me that video. And he's like, this confirms, you know, the path that you're that you're going on. And after I saw that, it just put me into full gear because, you know, she I she started off as an interviewer. She was in the sport. She had one pro fight. Um, started doing interviews for another organization. Then um, the Ultimate Fighter called her, which is a show that the UFC does, and then or one of Dana White's shows. And then then she became a you know sideline reporter for UFC, and now she's a commentator. And that's just from the steps she made, and you know making her footprint and making sure that that was her seat, you know, in that space. So um, I've always been somebody who. <laughs> I've always liked to go after things that were kind of, I guess you could say, not common to go after. Um, it when actually when I became a model, a professional model, uh, they told me no because I wasn't, I didn't meet the weight. I mean, the size requirements. I did not meet the height requirements at all. I was only an inch under, which is crazy, right? But that wasn't enough for them. They told me no, and um, 
they ended up calling me back because my pictures came out great. And as a result, I became the first African-American to be represented by the fashion division in that agency that was under 5'8". So I made history just pressing forward, you know, and making my mark. Um, Whenever I started my company, I was telling you about Entertainment Mindframe. Um, it, it spread really quickly because it was, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This girl is bringing brain and behavioral science into a creative world. Who would have thought of that? Um, and then within six months I was featured in Forbes. So it's like my ability to kind of see things that don't exist, um, or maybe that they're there. They're just not fully bridged together. Um, it doesn't scare me. I like the idea and I, I just don't think anything's impossible. So, you know, when I, when I was going from being a model to doing this, I said, eh, I can do it. (laughs) I can do it. I've done other things. I can do this too. When you kind of bring up like the idea of wanting to go, um, for different types of, um, goals that not a lot of people can kind of see and kind of like bridging that gap in the modeling world where you're kind of mentioning like, being below like the typical height requirement, but still trying to forge a path there. I was kind of wondering, like trying to be a, a female reporter in, a, a, as well as commentator and analyst in the MMA world, what it's like, I guess, compared to other industries you've been in, like, is it, are the obstacles, you know, as visible? Are there more obstacles? Um, you know, what's that like? Um, you know, I would say the only thing that I really run up against is uh, MMA or sports world in general. But since I'm doing MMA, I can speak on it. MMA is a male dominated industry. Um, You don't see a lot of women that are doing more than either being a ring girl or being a sideline commentator or a sideline reporter, Uh, which there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, it does cause for us to push for expansion, right? Um, It's, I won't say it's foreign. Um, MMA is a newer, popular sport that the world is recognizing. It's been around for a long time. UFC has been around for a long time. But as far as, you know, it being broadcast on ESPN for the world to see and gaining all these fans that are traveling from all over to see, that's that hasn't been happening as long as, NFL, NBA, soccer, tennis, uh, you know, any, any of the other sports that we like to sit and watch. So it's a, it's a newer sport in the world of sports entertainment, at least to the rest of the world. So because of that, you know, they're kind of, maybe they're just, I don't want to say they're behind. It's just, we're doing things a little bit later than the other organizations have done because they've been around for a while. So I think for the most part, I seem to get a lot of good feedback from people, but I will tell you it is difficult because uh, just me being a model in general, you know, and coming in and most people don't know that I've trained, you know, it's not like I walk around and say that I don't look like somebody who would even fight because, you know, of my face and they're like, you're a model. Why would it's contradicting, right? It doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? Um, but believe it or not, I like it. I enjoy it a lot. <laughs> I'm somewhat good at it, good at it, which is why, um, you know, I've still been able to model and train at the same time. <laughs> I've been smart about it. I've had good coaches. Um, I've had good training partners where we're not just recklessly hurting each other. Um, and I'm not putting myself in bad situations where I'm going to, you know, 
get hurt all the time. Uh, so people don't automatically, people don't always take me seriously, mm-hmm. just off top. I'm not always taken seriously. I'm, sometimes people think, oh, she's just doing this because she's a fan, you know, or, you know, she's just another girl that wants to get into a sports arena and, you know, get her face seen. But, um, you know, I really, I personally, I don't want to do it for that. I want to do it because uh, I truly believe that mixed martial arts has changed so many people's lives in a positive way. It saved a lot of people's lives. Um, fighting, which this is what's awesome to me, any combat sport, it's the only sport that we have that's on television, that's entertainment, that is a natural instinct in us, right? Um, and we all do, we all know how to do it if we're pushed to that point or we're in a situation where we have to do it. So I think the reason people are so invested in in this sport is because it's a part of them that we all know we have. It's an animalistic side to all of us, you know, and we just get to see, like live vicariously through these professional athletes that do it for a living, you know? Um, so I love it because it's a universal thing. I mean, we're humans, we're animals. We all have that side to us. Every animal on this earth has that side to them. So um, I just, I feel like it's such a powerful sport because it reaches everybody even if they don't enjoy watching people get punched in the face somebody can relate to it does that make sense mm-hmm. no like uh, like on kind of uh on that idea uh, at the beginning we were kind of mentioning the not like i guess like stuck behind the times but like with the ufc gaining that mainstream mainstream momentum behind it and the espn views and everything like that um, really kind of in more recent years, mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering like on how that relates to, uh, I guess, fighter pay, because I know it's, I always hear about, uh, I guess, the discrepancy between, uh, I guess, like MMA versus like boxing. Mm-hmm. But I always hear like so many different reasons from like, um, you know, from analyst to analyst. And I was kind of wondering, um, you know, from your perspective, if there is a, if there's like a main reason for, possibly lower pay or anything like that? Um, there's not really a main reason. I do know that mixed martial arts is, um, it's one of the only sports that's not funded, um, like other sports maybe. Um, but as far as the UFC goes, um, UFC is its own organization. And what a lot of people don't know, be- because UFC is such a big name, people confuse. They think that UFC and MMA are in- interchangeable. And really, UFC is just an organization for the mixed martial arts world, just like Bellator is or Invicta or Strikeforce or XMMA or LFA. These are all different organizations that uh, fall under the MMA community. And what's crazy about it is each organization is different. So they all pay differently. Um, That's kind of where the discrepancy is and where people uh, I've you know, I've heard a lot of things online uh, about what people say and, or even people that I know that are professional athletes, um, you know, the issues with, with different pay. Uh, The UFC, one of the reasons why they're, most people believe that they pay the most is because they have the biggest name. They were one of the first professional fight organizations that landed a deal with ESPN, right? And now they're 
they have a deal with uh, ABC. And of course, they have these million dollar uh, sponsors that are behind them as well. So they they have a great um, marketing to the rest of the world. But at the same time, they've been reported to pay less than 20% of their revenue to their fighters. Um, and like Strike Force, they've been reported to pay a little bit over 60%. Bellator is at 45%. Um, so the, you know, some people will leave certain organizations and go to other organizations. Like there are people that, and this happens a lot. There are people that get dropped from the UFC or their contract runs out and they go and they join a different organization because the pay might be better for them. Um, so I, I don't think it's just one reason. Um, I do know the UFC kind of, they kind of had a bad rep because of their, uh, sponsorship issue that they had back in, I believe it started in 2014 with Reebok when Reebok came out. And, uh, when Reebok was the main brand for the UFC, they were not allowed to have any other sponsors, which drastically cut, um, you know, financial stability for a lot of fighters. They were getting paid through these other sponsors and they couldn't use them anymore. So then UFC became their only avenue of making money. Um, so they're currently dealing with that lawsuit of owing those fighters during that Reebok era money back <laughs> because of how much money they missed out on. But um, yeah, each each organization is is different in the way that they structure it. I don't really know too much more than that, but I can tell you um, that difference. So I know a lot of people like they'll watch the sport and they hear the fighters talk about it. And they're like, what's the issue? Um, boxing has been around for a very, 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 very long time. Right. And like I mentioned earlier, the mixed martial arts community is is a baby compared to boxing. Um, so I think, you know, it might take a minute for it to get to that level to where fighters can get paid what they want. Could they get paid more? I'm sure they could. Uh, but again, I'm not, I'm not the owner of the organization, so I don't, I'm not sitting there looking at the numbers. I can't say what would and wouldn't work. Uh, but I do know that that's, you know, depending on who's in it, it's, it's been, it's been a bit of a frustration for a lot of fighters, especially because it's such a dangerous sport. No, I really didn't like know about, I guess that comparison of USC, UFC to something like Strike Force, but I guess it can, I guess definitely makes difference, um, you know, from organization to organization. But like on the idea of UFC, I really wanted to kind of ask you, um, you know, on kind of the feedback from one of their, not their most recent event right now, but, you know, UFC 276, um, you know, with a lot of, really conversation hype around that. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing coming out of that was, you know, that I was saying was kind of the Adesanya's fight, yeah. uh, championship <laughs> fight. And, yeah. you know, the the whole kind of uh, Chris Pratt commenting on it and uh, Adesanya got back to him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I guess, like, I wanted to kind of get your breakdown on it and, like, the idea of, you know, is there a thing, I guess, like a boring fighter and, you know, do you put any stock behind that behind that kind of claim, or what do you think about that fight? Uh, well, that fight particularly, I love that fight, but I am I have a bit of a fight IQ. I love technical fights, so um, 
I, what I have learned and what I can say, and anybody who's in the sport and is a professional would agree with me. If somebody can make it look easy, they're very, very, very good at what they do because that's not an easy thing to do. Um, for that fight, well, here's what I'll say. First, I'll say this kind of goes back to my statement earlier of people being emotionally invested in the sport because it's a side of them that we all have. And I think when that animalistic side is not met, you know, we don't get to see the blood and gore and the movie side, the, the Hollywood part of fighting. We kind of get disappointed. Um, so we live vicariously through these fighters and we want entertainment and we spend thousands and thousands of dollars to travel and get these suites and, you know, fly all these people out and get these uh, front row tickets. Um, so people don't want to see technical fights. But here's the interesting thing. I This is where I have an issue with. MMA is a very complicated sport. And if you do not understand the complexity in the sport, how are you able to spend thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, as a spectator and, and call yourself a fan if you don't understand what you're watching? Right. That's one of the reasons we have commentators. But even if we don't, I mean, people that watch football, they know what they're watching. People that watch basketball know what they're watching. Even if they can't play it themselves, they know the rules. They know what's going on. A lot of people don't even know point systems. Right. They don't even know. They just see a punch and they see blood and they see people flipping over and people breaking things. And, you know, that's that's the excitement that they're all after. Um for that fight specifically, um, you know, Israel did say that he wasn't, he was happy with the fight, but he wasn't uh, ecstatic about it, his own, his own performance. Um, and he did say that there were some times when he couldn't find his power and he couldn't figure out why, but overall, you know, he did a, he did a great job. I don't see that as a boring fight as, at all, because I know that both of those men are very aware that they were both very dangerous opponents. Um, Israel was actually, it has the utmost respect for Cannoneer's coach, uh, John Crouch, and he is known for strategically breaking down opponents and having great uh, game plans and beating them. So um, it wasn't a fight where you could go in and where I could say overcommit to where you put yourself in a bad position and then you can get hurt. Uh, Although Israel is one of the best fighters right now in the UFC, he was aware that if he did anything incorrectly, he could possibly get hurt or be in a bad position, you know, with his opponent. And because of that, he did things a little differently. One of the reasons um, he was able to, you know, take away some of his opponent's striking was just through footwork. And if you don't know what you're looking at, it just looks like they're running away from each other, but they're not. It's this is all strategy. Um, so a lot of it, you know, was hand control, distance management, you know, the jab. The jab is the most boring punch, but it is the most important because it keeps distance and it keeps range. And um, you can also tag someone. And if you hit them in the right spot, put them down. But that's another those are points that you're getting. And it also throws people off. And the takedown defense, uh, Israel said at one point in the fight, uh, a cannoneer said, uh, you don't like to wrestle, do you? And Israel said, well, then take me down then. And he wasn't able to. And I will tell you, as someone who's trained, 
Um, it's very discouraging when you are good at doing takedowns and you're constantly, it's constantly being, uh, you know, shut down. <laughs> so it, it, it makes you change your game plan and you got to try to figure things out. So, um, you know, I'm used to seeing great fighters do things more strategically. I mean, they've said that before about Mayweather. They've said it before about other great fighters when they didn't give them the bloody performance they were wanting. But like I said, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do. There's so many, so many factors that are going on um, in that cage. And I can guarantee you anybody who was anyone who was, uh, I guess say a negative had a negative comment about it. I don't believe they could even last two minutes with either one of those guys in sparring, you know, and that's in sparring. That's not an actual fight. So it's just, if, like I said, if you can make it look easy, you're very, very, very good at what you do. On that idea, when you kind of talk about that, the casual fan that, you know, doesn't have the knowledge or know what they're looking at and they just kind of want the, you know, the blood on the screen. <laughs> I remember kind of watching, you know, a, a fight that, you know, I loved watching was the uh, the, the Chandler versus Gaethje fight. But I kind of knew afterwards where I'm like, Man, there's only it feels like you could only have a couple of those in your lifetime of something like that damaging. Mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering, like with your if like you could give a breakdown on your like certifications that you have behind, um, you know, really with the cognitive and behavioral therapy and kind of I was wondering on like the different I guess the overall dangers behind MMA versus I guess like comparative to other sports because yeah i mean it's kind of like with that fight i'm like it feels like you can only have a couple of those like in your actual mma career yeah uh yeah so uh in regards to any of the certifications i have it's all brain and behavioral health so um brain on the brain side i studied fundamentals and neuroscience um which is just the cellular development of of the brain and you know how your signals communicate with the others and to the rest of your body. Um, neuroplasticity, which is the ability for the brain to change at any moment, any time. Um, I had studied uh, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, facilitation, which are just certain techniques they use. Um, a lot of people know it as CBT and they use it um, to geez, help with PTSD, depression, anxiety, uh, childhood trauma, whatever it is, you name it. Um, it's, it's been a great resource for a lot of people. Um, what was the other one I did? Oh, integrative, uh, behavioral health. Um, and there was one more, oh, the neurobiology of trauma, um, in the body and in the brain. So with all of those just off top, I'll just let people know I cannot diagnose anybody, (laughs) but I've, I've done the study so I can understand, you know, at least with human behavior. Uh, the things that kind of the why we do the things that we do, right? And different parts of the brain. It's so fascinating. It's completely complex and I'm in love with it. But um, I will say some of the dangers of MMA, they're, they're similar to boxing um, where you're dealing with TBI and CTBI. And TBI stands for traumatic brain injury. Uh, CTBI is chronic traumatic brain injury. And, uh, you know, a TBI... Traumatic brain injury is something as simple as having a knockout, you know, or even a TKO when, you know, you get hit in the button 
which is what they call hitting that, that right spot, um, either in the temple, behind the head, on the chin, and your brain shuts down for a minute, it is considered to be a concussion. Um, if you get too many of those in your lifetime, of course, that's going to affect your ability to communicate with the rest of the world and even process the world around you. So it does affect short-term impairment. Um, it can decrease memory performance. Um, it can affect your cognition. Your cognition is your ability to really work with information in a meaningful way. It helps you plan out your day properly. Um, and the reason that's such a big deal with your cognition is because your cognition is is influenced by your emotional brain. So if your cognitive brain is not in place, then it's common for people that have brain injuries to be a little bit more emotionally responsive. They might blow up quicker and have anger outbursts. They might have moments of sadness for a long time. And that's why, you know, you've seen uh, fighters, they tend to have a little bit of a shorter temper. It's not always because of brain trauma. Sometimes they just you know, a lot of them are natural fighters. A lot of them come from that background and that environment. So it's normal to them, but there's also a long-term effect it can have for your, you know, emotional stability and your cognitive ability over time. Um, that's a little bit different than some of the other sports. I think one of the other sports that's similar to that might be football uh, because of so many possible concussions that they get. Um, over time, I know that big uh, interview, I'm sorry, not interview, the documentary of that one NFL player, and I'm totally going blank right now. Was it Aaron Hernandez? I think so. Did you hear about that one? Yeah, they did a brain scan on his brain, um, you know, after he committed a terrible crime. And um, I became interested in, in, in really going into the sports world in my business before I started going into commentating and interviewing. Um, because I was very interested in, you know, how can we prevent um, this type of stuff happening for fighters? I do think one of the one of the theories that I had is that fighters don't really have an off button. Um, some of them, like I said, they grow up in certain environments. Um, a lot of people join the sport uh, for traumatic reasons. Either they're joining it because and this is not always the case, but most of the time, most people join it because they used to get bullied. They used to get hurt, you know, in their household and they felt helpless. So they were looking for a way to gain that confidence and that, that protection back. Other people were trying to stay out of prison, trying to stay, um, you know, off the streets, trying to just, you know, put their hands on something that would keep them a part of a community. Um, and then other people just use it as a form of therapy when they have mental illnesses that they're not medicated for. <laughs> so you have a lot of different personalities in the sport and um, there's not really an off button. And what's crazy about it, although I love this sport and I think it's incredible, it can foster that negative um, monster that we have inside of us and that trauma that we have inside of us. And I always said like, you know, I wonder if, some fighters actually, if they healed from any past traumas, I wondered if they would be the same type of fighter. You know what I'm saying? Um, because it all, our brain all works the same way. And, I mean, there's a lot of fighters out there that are very zen and they're very grounded and, you know, they're not violent people, but I would probably say 80% of them are. 
<laughs> for the most part. I'm not saying they're out here hurting everybody. They have an outlet, so they know they don't have to do that. But I do think if the situation presents itself, like, for instance, if you're ever in a bar, right, and a bar fight breaks out, the last type of people you want in a bar fight are people that train any type of combat sport, because that's going to be a real fight, you know? Um, so, and so those people are just ready to take it there. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, to answer your question, yes, the, there are possible brain um, injuries that can occur over time and can affect someone's health. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping, you know, that they have enough resources in place, you know, to help with those things. Uh, even while fighters are active fighters that they're getting, you know, I guess you could say scans or, you know, just checkups to make sure that they're doing okay mentally. Uh, Cause we don't ever know, you know, we don't ever know what someone's going through or the crazy thoughts that they're having and they just suppress it until they're in a bad situation. On like that idea what you kind of mentioned, like with the, um, the, the different physical hits that uh, MMA fighter can take in the combat sport. I was kind of wondering like, uh, and you kind of mentioned, you know, someone can get knocked down, hit on the chin. That's always like a term, you know, that I hear within the UFC and, and MMA where someone has a strong chin or a weak chin. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of wondering on, you know, why that specifically on the entire face, why they mentioned that. And, you know, is it, is that something you can just naturally have on being able to take a hit better than others? Or yes. is that something to build so some, on? Yeah, some people are, I guess what you would say, tough. If you ever listen to uh, the commentators talk on fights, you know, you'll see a guy, he gets getting hit in the chin over and over again, and he's not going down. And they'll say, man, that's one tough guy. He's so tough. Um, and that just means that they can withstand these hits a little bit more than the average person can. Sometimes that just has to do with athleticism. Sometimes it's just natural. Sometimes people just have strong necks and strong jaw lines. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't impact them the same way it would others. Um, the chin, the reason why the chin is always brought up is because um, it's almost like, um, how can I say this? It's almost like a ripple effect. Your chin, if your chin gets hit, um, I keep thinking of, of something in my head, but I can't get it out. <laughs> if your chin gets hit, your brain follows. Okay. The reason why you black out, if you, or the reason why it's called a knockout is because you black out. Your brain shakes too quick in your head and then it just shuts down for a second. Um, and it's natural. It happens uh, when we're in car accidents. It's a way for our brain to keep us alive. It shuts down when we think when it thinks we're in complete danger, or if it moves too much, it messes up our equilibrium, so we fall over. Um, so, but the chin is like the best place to do that because that's where you rock the head the most. Does that make sense? It make it literally can make the head go back and forth in a matter of milliseconds. And does that have like a, I guess, a lasting effect like through your life? Because I know with uh, when you kind of mentioned that that's like a system by the brain to, I mean, to keep the brain safe. Like it it seems like whenever I see like a major fighter, um, you know, get like knocked out cold that it's possibly over the next few fights. uh, I guess the name that comes to mind is like uh, Cody Garbrandt, who Mm -hmm. gets KO'd and then. 
I think on his next five fights, he's, you know, four out of, he has four losses out of five and, you know, he keeps on getting knocked down the first round. I was kind of wondering, like, is that something that does your brain keep on trying to uh, keep itself safe? Like after like a, a massive knockout like that? You know, I don't know if it's something that the brain actually does. I don't even know if there's studies on that. That's a really good question. Now that you've mentioned that, I'm going to look into that. I don't believe there's studies done on that, so I can't tell you scientifically. But I can tell you um, that when someone gets knocked out easily um, and it tends to keep happening, uh, it's usually it's the coach's call. You know, most of the time they say, hey, you shouldn't. We don't want you fighting anymore. And if we do, we're going to change up the game plan because we don't want you getting hit. This is another thing that uh, Israel brought up in his in his fight. Um, he said, I'm not stupid. He said, I'm trying to have a long career and I don't want to get hit. And I know everybody wants everybody to get hit. And, you know, that's kind of the point. But, um, you know, the more hits you take, you're shortening your your career as an athlete. Uh, so you do have to be strategic. You do have to be technical, even if the fans hate it. And like on that idea, when he kind of mentions um, like not being stupid and wanting to have a long career and, uh, you know, not want to take too much damage. I was kind of from wondering from your perspective on, you know, interviewing people from so many different weight classes. Is there a specific weight class that you would think has like the most damage or maybe has the most competition or just the most violent fights, like when it comes to like a stacked card? Yeah. Um, and I think, yes. So first to answer you, yes, there's uh, two different weight classes and it's between um, 170 and 185, which is your welterweight and your middleweight. The reason why is because you're just going to find more people that it's, that's the, that's the average weight that you're going to get for men to be able to cut to or gain weight to anything under that is probably naturally a smaller person. Anything over that is naturally a bigger person. So for the most part, you know, you're going to have your average, which most of your average male sizes are going to be within those two weight classes. Um, those two weight classes, I, I can't say that there's been more damage. It's just, there's more people in those weight classes. So I guess the damage seems like there's more that goes on there, but you also see uh, damage in heavyweight fights, uh, light heavyweights, and the smaller divisions. Um, I think the smaller divisions are a little bit safer for some reason. I don't know if it's just because they're so technical because they don't have, they don't have the size behind them that they can depend on. Um, and it, I don't know if you ever noticed it, but um, on heavyweights, uh, they don't always have the most technical fights because they're just big guys. They're big. A lot of them can just, you know, they just headhunt and they wait for that one big punch, you know, and they can swing their arm around the whole damn cage and knock them out. Uh, you know, other, other weight classes can't do that as easily because they don't walk around as big body men. Um, so as far as damage goes, um, I think it's possible in any division, <laughs> but uh, I would say just because of those two weight classes having the most people, um, you'll see it more. You'll see it more in those divisions. I remember like um, there being like a major debate when it came to like the weight classes that I was wondering um, if you had an opinion on like where it was kind of like with the UFC 
where they're trying to, I, I think a lot of people debating on allowing uh, like a uh, like a middle weight between each of the weight divisions. So I, I think it was like um, so people in lightweight and middleweight can fight against each other, or lightweight and welterweight between oh, those. Oh, I see. Because it's going to like one eighty five to two hundred five, or one eighty five to one seventy. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have I personally know fighters that have dropped weight classes pretty easily. Um, I think. What is it like light heavyweight to heavyweight? That's about, I think it's like 265 to 205. It's a pretty big difference between 185 and 170. You know, that's only 15 pounds difference, but you got light heavyweight, it's 205, and then heavyweight is 265. That's a bigger difference. Um, you know, I I don't know. I haven't, maybe I'm missing us missing something. I haven't heard too many people complain about that but that but also i just i know fighters that just they just do it they just make the weight cut um some of it's easy for them some of it's not sometimes uh what i do know is fighters don't always want to be at the top of their weight class so if you walk around at uh you know 185 you know it'll be easy for you to make 185 but no no not at the top of the weight class i'm sorry at the bottom of their weight class um so if you're if you're naturally like a smaller guy and you try to stay at a certain weight or let's say you're a lot bigger and you have to cut 20 pounds and you don't do it smart and you do it like two weeks in or the week of, you know, you can you can really damage yourself if you do it that way. Um, so I, I do know a couple of people like they may walk around at 160, but they fight at 125, you know, <laughs> or 135. Um, so they have to cut a lot of weight during um during the their fight camps and it, it does have an effect on them so but i don't know i just i don't think there's a big difference between all of them until you get to light heavyweight and heavyweight and by that you don't see a lot of heavyweights anyway so it's really only a 15 pound difference 10 or 15 pound difference between each weight class and like on the idea we we kind of like threw out um with some of like the titles of kind of reporter commentator analyst i was kind of wondering on like the difference between like the responsibilities of those positions and like does someone do people wanting to get into the media side of mma do they typically start out as a reporter to eventually become like a commentator analyst uh usually they do unless they have a background or you know went to school to become a sports analyst uh the one thing about MMA, which is something I was speaking about earlier, is because it is a newer sport and it's a complicated sport. And uh, newer sport as in, of course, it being a popular entertainment sport for the world, not as long as it's been around because MMA has been around for a long time. <laughs> um, uh, having the knowledge on it, you don't have you have to be a part of the sport in order to have the knowledge on it. So most of the people you see sitting behind those commentating chairs are people that have been hands-on with the sport at some point in their life, uh, which is extremely important because you have to know what you're talking about. You have to know what you're looking at. You have to know how to break it down. Um, yeah, I do see a lot of people go into um, interviewing or reporting at first. Uh, commentating is a little bit more, it's a little bit more complex because like I said, you have to have, you do have to have the knowledge behind it. 
you have to be personable. You have to be somebody that people want to listen to. You got to have a personality as well. You got to be entertaining <laughs> as well. Um, and then analysts, um, they get more into the technical and tactical psychological side of a performance and metrics and how it works. Um, you'll see some of that in post-fight uh, shows. Um, I do know that Daniel Cormier, he does that very well. He's a commentator for the UFC and he is very, very good at breaking down intense fights and these uh, strategic scenes. I, I love how they do that every time, but that's me because I'm, I'm a technical person. So I like, I like to hear somebody, you know, just stop the same thing. Like they do in the football games, they pause it, they play it back, they circle, they put the arrows out there and they break down what could have happened, what should have happened, what did happen. Um, and it's really cool when you look at it that way, because now you're learning, learning the science behind the sport, right? We're not just punching and kicking here. <laughs> there's a reason to everything. There's a method to the madness. Um, so yeah, there's a difference in, in each role, um, but they are all very, they all work simultaneously together for viewers that are that are watching. And was there like a natural, was one of those uh, opportunities naturally easier for you or is there like a harder transition into one of those positions? Because I can imagine like commentating, um, you know, trying to speak off the cuff for an event that's happening right in front of you has its difficulties. I can imagine like analyzing and trying to uh, have the metrics and look even more detail centric at, you know, a fight is uh, has its difficulties. Was there one that was like easier tr to transition for you? Ooh, um, I would say, you know, sideline reporting is pretty easy. Uh, Interviewing is pretty easy. Commentating. Now, there are different types of commentating. Um and what's cool about the UFC is all these commentators, they have different styles. So um, John Anik, he does play-by-play -play commentary where he's literally telling you what's happening as it's going on. Like I said, Daniel Cormier, he breaks it down more. And if you hear him talk, he's not just uh, talking about what's going on. He might be talking a little bit more about that person's style or, you know, their fight camp or uh, you know, letting you learn more about that person and, and what their strong points are, what their weaknesses are, what the fight could go to. Uh, Dominique Cruz, he's a very technical commentator. Uh, so he's he might be more on the side of, you know, like I said, that technical side that some people don't like to listen to because they want the entertainment. But that's where you have Joe Rogan that comes in. Joe Rogan is more of your your personable uh uh, entertainment guy. He does, he's knowledgeable about the sport. He's him and Paul Felder. They're both known for their crazy reactions. Uh, when people get knockdowns or takedowns or, uh, you know, the fights are called and they jump out of their chair and they're, you know, screaming at each other. <laughs> so, um, and Joe Rogan, he's also, he's gifted with audio skills. So he's, you know, a radio personality. He's got a huge podcast. He knows how to talk. He knows how to be entertaining. He might make a joke here once in a while. Did I lose you? It shows that it's still recording. Oh, there you are. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, is it over? <laughs> no, no, it cut out. Uh, yeah, just real quick. <laughs> so yeah, there's different, like I said, there's different styles in, 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 uh, in commentating. Uh, for me, when I first, when I first got the opportunity to commentate, I was not even 
ready for it. It's funny because I spoke to the announcer. The announcer knows me and, um, you know, he, he just said, hey, man, it would be fun to have you on the mic sometime. And I said, oh, yeah, that would be cool. And then the night of, I was only there to do uh, a sideline reporting and, and post-fight interviews. And then he's literally standing. I'm sitting cage side and he looks at me and he's like, you want to get on? And I was like, what? Re- really? <laughs> I wanted to say no, to be honest with you, because I it was so much going on. I've never even sat in front of all those gadgets before. Um, and then I knew it was going to be live. And, uh, but I said, no, fuck that. I'm going to say yes. So I jumped on and I did it. And, um, it wasn't bad. (laughs) It wasn't bad. I can tell I was nervous. A lot of people couldn't, there were people watching that said I did a great job. Um, so my style, it's more, it's more educational. I like to teach people about the person that's fighting and their background, maybe what their circumstances are. Uh, I do like to talk about the technicality Hello. side of things. But at the end no. of the day, I am big on brain and behavioral health. So um, if I can ever break down a move that could save somebody uh, and, and elongate their, their career as an athlete, I do like to talk about those things as well. For sure. Well, I guess uh, to like wrap everything else up, I just wanted to ask if there's any upcoming projects you know, related to not just like with your commentating analysis MMA, but, um, you know, if there's anything else with modeling or with, uh, you know, your brain and behavioral education, um, you know, any upcoming projects this year that, you know, you're excited about? Uh, so far I've been, uh, I just filmed my first episode for my new show called win, lose or draw. And, uh, my first guest was Frank Martin, who's a professional boxer and has a fantastic, incredible A1 team behind him. Um, he is literally one of the top boxers to watch right now, and he's just he's going to be a champion. I mean, that's that's a given. Um, so, yeah, I started that show and, and the, the preface behind the show was really just to give athletes or anybody in the sports world, not just athletes, but people in the sports world, a platform to be heard and seen kind of past their titles um, and talk about, you know, their perspective of life from their, from their perspective of life, from their profession. I was trying to get that out. (laughs) So, um, you know, they're, they're laid back conversations. It's not really sports talk. It's just sports based. So, you know, we'll have athletes on, coaches, managers, massage therapists, uh, psychologists, <laughs> sports psychologists, uh, anybody that's involved, you know, in, in any type of sport. Um, and I and I use the term win, lose or draw because it's it's relative to life. You know, we have to at some point in life, we we either take a win, we take a loss or we just call it even, <laughs> you know, with, with the things that we go through in life. So. For sure. Well, I definitely wanted to, uh, you know, check out those links, um, especially, you know, it, it sounds like a really interesting episode for um, to have these uh, different sports contestants on. And um, yeah, definitely want to post any links um, for anyone interested on in checking out. But honestly, just wanted to thank you again, Adair, for not just being able to take out the time to, you know, discuss what you do and these different roles, but also talk about your um, background in modeling in brain and behavioral education and everything that and kind of uh, and 
really with uh, training in these different combat sports, um, you know, everything that really kind of uh, prepared you for these roles that you're currently doing right now. Um, Now, it sounds like, you know, you have some really cool upcoming projects with the shows. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it all. Yeah, hopefully you guys will see me on ESPN this year. (laughs) That's that's my goal. Mm -hmm. Definitely. We'll post a highlight as soon as that happens. (laughs) You heard it here first. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask Podcast. Stay connected with us directly through theplatinummask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at graymask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.